In a fast-changing global economy, a lot of manufacturers are looking for a get-out-of-China card. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is a Supply Chain Brain podcast. The luster of China as a source of cheap manufacturing has been fading for a few years now. Rising wages in Chinese factories are one reason. Another is the higher level of risk that comes from producing goods so far from end markets. But the coronavirus pandemic has greatly accelerated this trend to a point where many manufacturers are seriously considering new places to make a wide range of consumer products. The question is, where? On this episode, I'll be talking about the many factors that go into answering that question with my guest, Jason Maynard. He is Senior Vice President of Global Field Operations with Oracle NetSuite. We'll weigh the risks and benefits of a shift in sourcing, which after all is no quick or simple task, and look at some of the alternatives available to manufacturers, including the possibility of reshoring to the United States. When the dust settles, sourcing strategies could look dramatically different than they do today. So here is my conversation with Jason Maynard. Jason Maynard, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, and it's great to chat today. Jason, we're going to be talking about some tips and strategies for moving supply chains back to the United States. But I want to first ask you, just in a general sense, is it feasible? I think it is. The interesting and probably accelerated trend over the last 90 to 120 days because of the COVID-19 situation has put a spotlight on this trend of reshoring or local sourcing, whatever sort of term you want to use around it. I think it's something that maybe a year ago, the answer to your question would have been not sure or maybe, but I think in in this day and age, I think we've seen it's something that almost every company is going to have to look at. Well, it was a little bit in the works in the last few years as we saw Chinese labor wages in factories going up and companies getting a new awareness of the additional costs that come from longer supply lines. So it's not like it comes as a Complete surprise that this may be a way to go, right? I think you kind of hit on it. The labor arbitrage that many corporations were benefiting from was starting to wane a bit. And so you saw companies looking for second source suppliers in other low cost regions and, you know, things like transportation costs and, and other factors that go into not just building a product, but actually the shipping weighed into that equation. I think the bigger trend here. And again, not that this wasn't sort of starting to percolate a little bit, but you've got trends around national security concerns. You have a whole host of geopolitical issues, the political implications around the manufacturing jobs that used to exist in the Midwest, if you will, and no longer exist. You've got things like 5G and innovation, right? In terms of where does that innovation and around say something like 5G take place and where is it manufactured? And I mean, you have considerations of economic in terms of what's the shape of the economy look like in terms of skewing towards consumption versus manufacturing. So I think there's a lot of different concerns just apart from company-specific issues that are starting to weigh into this discussion 
And I think the COVID-19 situation accelerated that. And I think you're going to see maybe over the next, say, four or five years, I think a lot more of this come into in, into discussion from, from a broader standpoint versus just, hey, is the product we're manufacturing in Asia X percent cheaper than in another region? I think you're going to have a whole host of issues that, that manufacturers and distributors are going to be considering as they look at where they're building. Well, there you go, uh, because I'm sure you would agree that it's not just a, an automatic, that every supply chain can immediately come back and reshore. That being the case, how does a company or how does a business go about even beginning to determine whether it's feasible? What are the criteria, the elements that need to be taken into consideration to make that calculation before you can even decide? Fundamentally, I think you have to actually start at the business model level, right? This is not a tactical decision. I think it's where you were going with your question. I think the implication here is extremely strategic in terms of thinking about what does our business model look like? Where are we sourcing our components, if you will, our goods? How do we actually flow that through our financials in terms of local sourcing, say back in the United States, what's the implication on labor costs? What does that mean for pricing? Is that pricing going to be viable in the market we're competing in? So I think at, at one level, the first thing is you've got to have a full-blown situational analysis around your business model. I think there are some companies who have looked at this and they may be forced to come back. Let's say you're manufacturing, in this case, you're producing food. And let's say you're sourcing from countries where there's a travel ban in place, mm, right? Mm -hmm and you're making frozen food products, hypothetically, right? And you're trying to get certain vegetable or you're trying to get things from places where you can't actually physically go. I'll use that as an example of a company I was talking to the other day. Massive implications there if that's part of the input into your own supply chain, right? And so I think some of this is going to be a requirement just on their business model because of the situation where they can't actually get to the regions where maybe they source their components, if you will. And I think there's going to be other things where it's going to be geopolitical, where you may not be able to get access to, let's say, the same workforce for a variety of reasons. Again, maybe it's travel restrictions. Maybe it's going to be things around in high tech where if it's related to, say, something like 5G, um, you're going to have issues in terms of where you're sourcing those components because of national security interests. So I think what you're going to see is this evaluation in every business about where are we at today? What's the from two? I call it the Frodo, the from two in terms <laughs> of where are we at? And then where do we think we need to go? I think your point is spot on. It's not going to all happen at once. There are no. situations where you, it may have to happen at once because you're you're unable to actually source but in a lot of ways, I think you're going to have to do this strategic analysis around the entirety of your business because this is going to have far-reaching ramifications in terms of how you compete. But it's more than a matter of just pulling your stuff out of a factory overseas and then putting it in a new factory here, isn't it? What about sub-tier suppliers? What do you do about them? How important is suppliers' suppliers' proximity, the possibility of needing to bring over like entire supplier campuses that are in proximity to the main manufacturing facility? What is that calculation like? It's part of the complexity in this process, right? In any industry, 
let's say you're going to move a plant from overseas to the U.S. So first, you've got massive capital costs that you've got to understand in terms of if you got do you have to purchase new land, do you have to do buildings, do you have to do you have to outfit the buildings with the equipment. To your point, what if the suppliers suppliers aren't located there, and now you've increased more latency into the supply chain, or perhaps you can't get those subcomponents into your components. Huge issues around that. I think there's a line here that we're sort of on right now where maybe as a country, I think we've looked at the reshoring or the local sourcing initiative or imperative. And we saw this firsthand with PPE, personal protective equipment and medicine, things like that. And everybody reacts and says, absolutely, that's crazy that we manufacture this in XYZ country. We need to be doing it here in the United States. And then you sort of go from that moment of, yeah, it makes sense. We do it. And then it's sort of like, well, how do you do it? Right. And I think we're just starting to, as a, maybe as a nation or a, as a set of manufacturers here in the United States, or if you think about it as companies that design here and manufacture overseas, put our toe in the water to examine, like, how could you actually do this? And it's not as simple as just saying, okay, we'll take my plant and move it from A to B and ignore, if you will, all the downstream subcomponent suppliers like mm-hmm. you have. Is it reasonable to expect that at least some parts of your supply chain are going to continue to be offshore? It means that at the very least, raw materials, which often do just naturally come from other places, maybe even subcomponents and assemblies and the like. Is that a possibility that that'll just become a reality? As, as much as you put here, you're still going to be needing to draw on other countries for some of your needs, right? I think so. I think you're right. It could be raw resources. I mean, it could be labor, too. You may not have the right labor for certain sectors here in the United States. You may want to hire 500 people tomorrow for a certain segment of an industry, and you realize we don't have the labor pool to actually, with the relevant skills, to actually accomplish that task. So Mm -hmm. how do you think about that? I think there's going to be things like with the new trade agreement with Mexico and Canada might be the alternative approach, especially Mexico, when you think about maybe it's not a full-blown reshoring. Maybe there's some where you nearshore to Mexico. That's probably something that I think is going to be on the table for a lot of organizations to look at. And obviously it depends on the sector. So I'm making a generalized statement. So I don't want to make that statement and be like, no, we don't do anything in Mexico. But I think to your point, it's a phased approach. It's going to take some time. It's not a light switch, right? It's going to be a gradual process of rethinking through all of those relationships from direct suppliers to the suppliers to your direct suppliers, where the labor pools, where the resourcing, um, if it's raw materials, things of that nature, and how that all works together. If, If you kind of take a step back, the last 20, 30 years, we have moved into a hyper sophisticated extremely interconnected, almost zero latency, real-time global supply chain in nearly every industry. The amount of synchronization and efficiency that we have in place across the globe in every industry is pretty amazing, right, when you think about it, except when you have a disruption. Mm -hmm. And then when something breaks and you realize the level of interconnectedness is actually a, a weakness, not a strength. And so we've been able to optimize margin structures, whether it's your cost of goods sold or even dropping it down into thinking about your overall operating margin extremely well 
Um, you see, obviously, the corporate margins have improved in a lot of industries substantially and benefited from this. The flip mm-hmm. side is when you layer on something like a pandemic, you layer on geopolitical strife, you lay on, let's say, counterfeit goods coming from China, right? Put that on. And if we as a nation say, hey, we're going to make sure that you know, everything coming into Amazon, eBay, whatever it is, is no longer counterfeit, we're going to enforce greater degree of quality control and standardization around the importing of certain products. You layer all those things on, those are all, if you will, I don't want to just call them headwinds, but they run counter to this sort of this globalization and synchronization that we've had. And I'm not trying to make this as a, as a political commentary on should we have more in the U.S. versus other countries? These are just sort of the realities of mm-hmm. what we've constructed and, and what our, our global corporations operate in today. And global corporations, I don't mean just the big guys. I mean the small companies as well who maybe you design a product in California where I live. You outsource the manufacturing to a contract manufacturer in Asia. You do nearshore assembly in another country. Um, you do drop ship through one of the global transportation distributors. You may actually never touch the product back at your headquarters in California, right? Mm-hmm. And that model relies on a high degree of cooperation, a high degree of sort of ease of transport through multiple countries. And so as that becomes uh, more disrupted, I think it, it forces everyone who's in this space to rethink about, okay, what do we have for second sourcing? What do we have for resiliency in our China, in our, in our manufacturing operations, say outside of a China situation? What do we do for second sourcing? How do we think through the sort of decision chain that comes when you make a change? You don't go from one single sourcing situation to the next. In other words, you may, might be bringing some stuff back here, but you don't want to repeat mistakes that companies have made about putting all their eggs in one basket, wherever that basket might be. I think it's a good point. I think it's something that when you, when you examine the implications on this, I'll give you one conversation I've had in the last 30 days. I was talking to a small manufacturer, and they said, hey, look, we found a second source, but they don't have the ability to scale any more than, say, 30% of what we could do in China. Mm-hmm. And trying to find the capability to scale at certain levels within the cost structure that they had for their business, he says, just doesn't exist. So in, and he says, in our case, we'll be able to shift some production, but this situation, and this was in Mexico, just they don't have the ability to scale. And so we're trying to figure out, do we invest into the Mexican plant? Do we try and bring more to the U.S. as an alternative? Do we phase it in? Do we reduce our reliance on certain Asian markets? Do we look at a different Asian market? And so, yeah, it's not just a one-for-one. A really simple example would be is if all of a sudden Apple came out and said, we're going to make all the iPhones in the United States versus making them in China. Mm Mm-hmm. You couldn't do it. You certainly wouldn't have factory complexes with tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of workers like a Foxconn in China. So what the solution there, I'm assuming that as companies come back and reshore to the United States, those factories aren't going to look like they looked when they left the United States. There's going to have to be quite a bit of automation in order to make them work in this country, right? 
it's going to be a massive amount of automation. I think that'll be the interesting transformation for the U.S. Is there an increased focus on leveraging automation, robotics, the use of artificial intelligence for certain things? I've seen some interesting stuff happen in, in the last 90 days around 3D printing Mm-hmm. and seeing some manufacturing plants retool. I mean, this is not at mass scale, but retool very quickly, leveraging 3D printing capability, for example. So the question is, is there a leapfrog, right? It's not simply like, okay, take your example, thousands and thousands of workers in a Foxconn plant. Is there a leap in your particular category where you can say, hey, you know, we don't have to do it that way. We should move to the future faster. Like, is the future going to come even quicker in terms of some of these automated and advanced technologies? That mm-hmm. could be a thing that you look at. I think it also could be incredibly beneficial to new entrants into the market who perhaps don't have maybe the burden of some of this is where you can say, hey, you know what, we're going to skip to 2020 immediately. And hmm. we're not going to have the legacy, if you will, of trying to figure out retooling we're going to clean sheet it and start from scratch. And so I wouldn't be surprised over the next five years, maybe not 2020, maybe it's a 2025 thing. You start to see more innovation come back. Consumer markets, geopolitics, disaster situations, they can turn on a dime, but a company (laughs) manufacturing and sourcing strategies cannot turn on a dime. It takes much longer. So how then do you deal with that, with the gap between those two things? Is there a way in which companies can have like dynamic sourcing strategies that they are able to change in line with changing conditions. I'm just wondering, how do you constantly reevaluate that, taking into account the difficulty of making big changes in your sourcing infrastructure? I'll give you one example that I've seen in the apparel sector is the, the concept of, of trying to postpone the differentiation on a particular set of clothing until very late in the process to when you actually drop ship to the customer. It's not so different from what Dell pioneered years and years ago, right, with the built-to-configuration type of model where they wouldn't manufacture the PC until you actually configured it with all the components that you wanted. Um, In this case, it may not be a configuration on the front end where the consumer drives it into the manufacturer, but maybe it's more along the lines of, to your point, is rethinking how you can structure your supply chain so your end product determination, and I'm going to use something really simple, and so the real manufacturing folks on the phone will will cringe when I say, you know, it's a red shirt or a blue shirt or a yellow shirt or a green shirt, but how do you postpone that level of differentiation in your supply chain until you get closer to the customer, right? Until Mm -hmm. you get closer to understanding what the end demand is. And I think those are things that kind of happened today already, but I think that is that's another way to look at this. Again, depending on your industry, when you sort of disaggregate your supply chain and say, okay, we can't move step three in this process. It's got to stay where it is. How do we sort of reshape around it to get ourselves more flexibility or to move pieces closer to the shore that we're on? So much to think about if a business is making the decision to move all or part of its supply chain back to the U.S., but Jason Maynard of Oracle NetSuite, thank you very much for kind of setting the table for us in terms of some of the considerations that companies need to be making in order to make that all-important decision these days. So thanks so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. It's not an easy topic, and I'm glad you're pushing the dialogue and conversation forward.
That was my conversation with Jason Maynard of Oracle NetSuite, talking alternatives to manufacturing in China. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.